Five o'clock in Pirate Country, and 94.3 The Game is going to get you home with the P-Man. In five, four, three, two, one. Lock it in. Turn it up. It's time for the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. This is the flagship station of the ECU Pirates. Shout out to everybody who's having to do some work outside today. I have a couple of guys that run those big uh, tow trucks. They're having to work outside in this heat. Uh, farmers and their laborers and uh, everybody. My guy Sarvi out doing the uh, praise and raisin thing. Outdoors in this heat is brutal. Oh. Uh, Welcome in, everybody. Quite a show today. A little COVID cast on a couple of fronts. Uh, Dr. Perrin Jones will be with us. We'll uh, talk about uh, COVID here in North Carolina. Antoine Staley next segment. ECU alum, Riot Report, talking to the NFL and Panthers. Uh, No preseason games, it appears, uh, for the NFL. uh, And a lot of other things to get to. Ben Byram, you well? Uh, We say uh, hey to Ben here today as he is uh, producing the show. Uh, All good with you, Ben? Uh, everything's all right. I had a rough start to my day because a giant oak tree fell in the uh, driveway. I had to hack away at oh. that, but other than that, it's been all better right. Than, better than on the house. It's all downhill from here, as they uh, as they say. That starts tomorrow. Speaking of tomorrow, uh, we I won't say this is pirate report worthy, but I'll say it's breaking news worthy. Uh, as was reported last week by WITN's Tyler Feldman, Uh, ECU made it official a little while ago. They're going to resume athletic activities starting uh, tomorrow after performing another round of COVID-19 tests. On Monday, the ECU Athletics Department tested 104 individuals, student-athletes, coaches, and staff. With three positive tests confirmed, the department has 17 active positive cases and 20 individuals have recovered after testing positive. All individuals who test positive for COVID-19 will self-isolate and receive daily monitoring from ECU Athletics medical staff. The department will continue to test individuals in consultation with the medical staff. That is uh, the release that was put out just a little bit ago. And uh, we'll get more on this from John Gilbert. John Gilbert's going to be part of the virtual chamber luncheon tomorrow for the uh, Pig Greenville Chamber of Commerce. And uh, Mr. Gilbert will be uh, speaking to this and uh, other things uh, tomorrow. He played golf uh, today with HV3. Did you see that, Ben? He was he was out there with Harold uh, playing golf. He needs nice to drop some pointers there for him. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe that'll clear Harold's head. Up. That tells me Harold's probably playing Memphis and obviously not playing this week uh, in uh, Minnesota. I think a lot of guys are going to skip that. By the way, the golf numbers were uh, huge this weekend. Uh, even with uh, John Rom kind of running away with things on Sunday. In the uh, final round of uh, Jack's tournament, and really no Tiger involvement, uh, the numbers were huge even on Sunday for CBS. I think I can't remember if it was two point three or three point two million. Point is, a lot of people watched. I think it was three point two, but we'll double check that. A um, couple of things to get to: uh, Could we have Major League Baseball in North Carolina? Uh, appears that the Blue Jays have been in conversations with uh, Charlotte. Of course, the uh, Canadian government will not allow anyone into the country 
unless they quarantine for 14 days once arriving in old Canada. So that is problematic, obviously, for the Blue Jays. And so the Jays uh, have talked to the longtime minor league staple, uh, the Buffalo Bison. Uh, they're not playing, obviously. And uh, that's, you know, relatively close to Toronto. Not that they can run back and forth because of what we mentioned. Uh, or Charlotte. Uh, that was reported by uh, the, the Fowler guy out in Charlotte earlier uh, today. Uh, and it's been picked up some other places. Charlotte's got that beautiful ballpark in its uh, uptown area. And uh, could this be a precursor to Charlotte getting Major League Baseball? You see Charlotte pop up on uh, lists of expansion possibilities. And you see Charlotte pop up on uh, the possibilities of if, if there's relocation. But MLB seems a little more hell-bent on uh, expansion rather than relocation right now. They'll have a great backdrop you, for TV there with the uh, city skyline well, no, in the it, background. I'll tell you this about I think it's Truist Park. I'll tell you what is great about that in Charlotte. You know, they played out in the uh, boondocks. Actually played in South Carolina, I believe Rock Hill, for a number of years, and they wouldn't draw flies to their stadium out there. Uh, when they moved out to Charlotte, uh, and with the, the setup there, it became a hot spot uh, and part of, you know, the Charlotte or all the Charlotte skyline. I mean, you're right, Ben. It's going to be gorgeous. Um as I understand it, that's not a, and it doesn't matter for this because it's not like they're going to sell tickets. But this is not a stadium that can be built on to expand. No, no. That's what I've always been told. So, you know, streets. Yeah, you'd have to really, there'd have to be some creativityness to quote Mike Hamrick, allegedly. Um, you know, if they're going to expand that stadium, our friends at Barrett Sports Media uh, put this recap out earlier today. Uh, the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference will uh, be the latest uh, center of the latest story aired on Real Sports that will debut tonight on HBO, I believe at 10 o'clock. All 14 SEC schools have been back on campus. The conference is yet to make any announcement about what changes it may deem reg- necessary to the regular season. I got news for you, Barrett Sports Media. They're not going to. Uh, the commissioner was interviewed by David Scott, and Scott tried to get Sankey to answer how many reported players tested positive for COVID-19, but Sankey would only say that he receives regular updates from athletic staffs. Those are questions best and appropriately asked of campuses. I have regular updates um, as we go through our our regular calls. Uh, One area that he did answer some criticism, Sankey that is, was institutions asking student athletes to sign risk acknowledgement waivers. Sankey was specifically asked about a form at the University of Tennessee that players were, were asked to sign. Uh, again, you're asking a question in comparison. So in comparison to what? To having them work out in homes that, that, uh, or home gyms that may have been their own hotspots without oversight of sports medicine specialists, without strength and conditioning coaches. And that reality informed what I still believe was the right decision. So I got that a little reverse there. That was actually the question about uh, are, are athletes safer on campus right now? And so Sankey asked that. That's the cut that's really been making the rounds. Uh, the other one was uh, the the updates. So the update one, I think we aired correctly. I just introed the wrong one there, but that's all right. You get the point. The question was if student athletes are safer on campus now than they are at their homes. And, and you heard Sankey answer there, the complete interview tonight. I mean, I think it's fair to ask those questions. I'm sure they're going to be presented in a gotcha type of way. That's at least what these clips that we've seen and heard today 
would seem to indicate, Ben. But uh, I, I will I'd be anxious to see how real sports couches this tonight. At times, they are spectacular. But uh, with Brian Gumble kind of running that thing, it, it's leaned left at times. So we'll see. Uh, again, I just I think the economies of places like Knoxville, Tennessee, Greenville, North Carolina, Starkville, Mississippi, uh, College Station, Texas, uh, even Austin, Texas. Austin's a great town, and it's really b- boomed here in recent years. But, I mean, they announced today at the University of Texas they're planning on allowing uh, half capacity. And, I mean, again, I, college football is such a driver for every institution, but for a lot of these towns, major economic lifeline. And it, it, it from the economic standpoint, given where we are, it has to be played, in my opinion. And I, I, just, I still don't get the reason people are – being rooted against or called Neanderthals for wanting there to be college football. It's the strangest phenomenon I've ever seen, but that's kind of where we are in in mainstream sports media today. Uh, All right, NFL, no preseason. Panthers, uh, how this impacts them. Our guy Antoine Staley on the PJ Show when we return. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Like us on 94.3 The Game's Facebook page for breaking sports news, pictures, and videos, programming alerts, and the latest from the ECU Pirates. Patrick Johnson. I think he's a hedonist and an overblown grandstander. This is the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Always great to talk uh, with NFL writer, ECU alum, friend of the show, Antoine Staley, theriotreport.com. He joins us telephonically on this uh, very hot Tuesday. Antoine, how goes it? Uh, Hey, how you doing? I'm good. I'm talking to you, so I'm a lot better than I was, you know, a few hours ago, but I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, there's the old saying, Antoine, all's well that ends well, right? Yeah. Have we achieved that a little bit here with the preseason, the offer for the preseason to be totally scrapped by the owners? I mean, that's kind of what everybody wants anyway, right? Yeah, well, I think most people want that just because of everything that's going on. Uh, but there's a segment of players that want to have preseason games, which you can kind of understand. And they're the both players that's going to be on the bubble potentially. Yeah, uh, yeah. There might be players that want to have something on film and believe that if they don't get latched on to a roster or a team's practice squad, they can maybe have something they can another team can possibly see and they can get signed somewhere else. So I definitely understand that. But um, I think this is unprecedented circumstances that we're dealing with. And I think it'd be better for everybody probably not to have a preseason. And also the fact that, there was no really off-season program um, right, for right, the players that, right. like it normally is. So it's going to have to take some time to not only test the players for about a week or so, but also get them uh, acquainted and get them up to speed as far as uh, getting it, get back in shape. Because a lot of players are staying in shape during the season, but you always know it's, some play- it's players that did not stay in the amount of shape that they're supposed to be in uh, to start the season. We got Antoine Staley, uh, ECU alum, Riot Report, covering the Panthers, covered the NFL for a uh, quite a while. Uh, any word yet on what could happen with uh, Panthers' attendance and tailgating? I guess the idea at this point is to see what the governor may do in the coming days or, or weeks. Uh, but I know in Miami, for example, it's been announced no fans, or at least no tailgating. Uh, in uh, New York, 
basically uh, New Jersey for Jets and Giants games. No fans is uh, what it looks like uh, uh, there right now. Uh, anything or any indication of where the Panthers may be going with this? Well, I'll start with the fans and the fans. Uh, supposedly, uh, from people that I've heard from, it, they're looking at maybe 20 25% capacity in Bank of America Stadium. So, uh stadium that seats over 70,000 is going to be scaled back quite a bit to maybe like 20,000 mm-hmm. or so, 25,000. Mm-hmm. So, that's kind of what we're thinking. That's kind of what they're thinking somewhere between there. So they're thinking, yeah, there's probably be maybe some fans uh, right now, but that's still up in the air just depending on how the governor may uh, decide to do things because North Carolina still um, in this kind of continuous state of the phase two and hadn't necessarily got out of it. Uh, so we'll have to see what happens with, with that um, as we post August and September. So, But, yeah, that's kind of what they're thinking there. As far as tailgating, I, I would think it's, going to be probably off the table well tailgating at the stadium right but right. like that now right. people tailgate they can tailgate coming up uh at their own discretion at their house or whatever but tailgating at the stadium i, I would have to say that's probably going to be off limits well, this upcoming year just considering everything going on and anybody knows you know bank of america that's a unique situation uh there yes. is not uh you know there, there's not this sort of a stadium in the middle of uh you know lots of asphalt parking uh, I mean, this is an uptown, uh, you know, urban setting. And, you know, they do a really good job to kind of make it a festive area around the stadium. But, I mean, it's, you know, not like Arrowhead in a sense, uh, or even Miami in a sense. It's No, it's, not know, like anything I've seen, yeah. really. So uh, I guess it could be up to the discretion of those that are charging for parking uh, in these city lots, if you will, or private lots. If you want to tailgate, you could tailgate here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I guess that's up to whoever, right? Yeah, I guess uh, whoever's running the businesses, yeah. Uh, yeah it's, like you said, it's a unique situation where uh, you're not, it doesn't stay it's not in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's just not like like it was when I covered the Dolphins where that stadium is built on uh, Native American territory, uh, so, so to speak, but yeah, it's definitely um, a unique situation. I, I would imagine some people would take advantage of that just because of money and everything like that. But, yeah, I, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't surprise me if that would have happened. We got Antoine Staley with us here, uh, one of our uh, great friends. He covers the NFL, uh, riotreport.com. Uh, Antoine, is it, it's Antoine Staley, at Antoine Staley on Twitter, correct? Yeah, yes, sir. There you go. That, that's that show prep right there, baby. Antoine Staley. You can follow him on Twitter at Antoine uh, Staley. Let me get back to this thing with the preseason. Uh, is this a precipice of there being reduced preseason games in the very near future, do you think? In other words, I don't think we'll ever see them wiped out like we are likely going to see or we'll see this year. Uh, but could we see that reduction in preseason games to three or to two? Well, with the new bargaining agreement taking hold come in the next few years, we were going to see that anyway. Right. It's going to be two or but three. But does this, accel- does this uh, accelerate that maybe? Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely would. But the days of having four preseason games are over. Uh, I, I think they're going to go to a 17-game schedule next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nothing nothing definitive about that. It's just kind of my whole personal opinion. Right, it, it right. Was, it was, it was kind of uh, left up. It's going to be left up until uh, – 
decide when it might be 2021 or 22, but I think this is kind of celebrating this considering the fact that the NFL is going to lose money considering what's going on. So the way, the better way to try to get some of that money back <laughs> is by add another game to the schedule. Yeah. So yeah, I, I imagine it'll be 17 games next year and, probably two preseason games. I think that's what we're going to move forward with. And look, I know, you know, these guys certainly are are putting their bodies on the line. Uh, They're great athletes, uh, and I hope everybody can get paid, and I hope they expand the rosters by adding this regular season game. Uh, But, I mean, as far as, you know, uh, those positives coming out of it, you know, how do you feel about it? Pretty good about the fact that they're adding a regular season game if they're taking away the meaningless preseason and if it means more opportunity for more guys? Yeah, I think um, it's, it's a, I've, I've kind of been bit, to, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I think uh, you look at it in a sense where it adds more re- revenue and more money. People are going to watch the NFL regardless, yeah. whether it be 17 games, 20, 16, whatever the case may be. So uh, to add another game, uh, I don't think it's that big of a deal. To add a playoff team, which is another playoff team in each right, conference, which right. they're going to do this year, mm-hmm. I think that's probably a bigger deal. But I, I like it because I know some people may think it may be watered down. But to get another playoff team in there and get another city excited about their team making the playoffs, I don't think it's a bad thing either. And also they're supposed to be potentially increasing the roster and also the practice squads as well. So – I definitely think it uh, gives more players opportunity to be in the NFL. And I, again, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just change is uh, difficult to deal with for some people. Uh, I just think that and you're going to see a lot of it this year, <laughs> um, probably more than ever. Yeah. So uh, I just think it's uh, hard for people to make that transition uh, when you've been doing something for 30 years or so. The players, uh, you know, are, are when they take the social media, say they want to play and they, they've got a hashtag for all of that. You know, I, I think some fans, uh, you know, get get the the old eye roll going when you hear guys that are well compensated uh, complaining about, you know, having uh, to to go and, and do this because there's a lot of people who have gone to jobs uh, during this pandemic who make considerably less money, uh, and there's people who don't have jobs right now uh, that uh, you know want to get back to work. Uh, what is at the core of the players' argument here with the NFL? It's concerned about uh, what are they going to do to protect the players. That's pretty much what it boils down to, and nobody really knows that. Uh, we know about testing. The players wanted to get testing every day. Uh, that seems like that's going to be the case at least uh, early on. Yeah, They're going to be tested every day, and then it's going to transition to every other day. Uh, obviously, players have families that they're coming to. They're not going to be in a bubble like the NBA or NHL, so they want to protect them as well. Uh, I, so I definitely think those are the, probably the main concerns there uh, for a lot of different players. And you look at some of the players that are not making the, much, the same amount of money, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they want to be protected too. Yeah. Uh, they want to make sure they have an opportunity if they don't latch on with a down the main roster to be on a practice squad and get compensated for that too, which they're post in this crazy year. Uh, I believe they're going to increase the practice squad uh, limits there as well. So it's a lot of different perspectives from different players. Um, you can definitely understand it, especially with players having having children. Their pre- wife might be pregnant, and they don't necessarily want to expose them to th- this disease, uh, this virus. Right. Uh, and I can definitely understand that. Do you, um, you know, I know the NHL, of course, they're in a bubble, so to speak, but the NHL seems to be running the testing every two to three days, and it seems like they've got a pretty nice handle on it. 
think the PGA Tour has done a really sensational job, save a, a small little flare-up uh, three or four weeks ago. NASCAR seems to have done a pretty good job. We'll see what happens with baseball and and with the NBA. Uh, but I think a lot of eyes are going to be on, on f- football, and, and I, I would have to assume in a lot of ways, Antoine, football has been kind of keeping eyes on what these other groups have done, uh, soccer, uh, golf, uh, racing, et cetera. Have, have you heard of, you know, about them maybe taking some of those measures and applying them? Yeah, I mean, you'd be crazy not to. Uh, you see what's working for some of the other sports that's had success so far. Uh, soccer seems like they're doing a really good job. Uh, like you, you mentioned NASCAR, they even had fans coming into the stands and watching. Yeah, so I'm yeah. sure the NFL is going to come and implement that as well when uh, they have fans coming in and watching their games uh, with masks on. So, yeah, I'm sure they're going to take a little bit from each sport and kind of make it their own and uh, see what works there. Um, I, it seems like with the other, with the major sports, uh, the more they're testing, the more they're uh, seems like things are starting to work out, pan out, at least initially right yeah. now. Yeah. I definitely think that's really the core of what players are wanting, just to test so they can kind of combat it. And as a player is, comes down with the coronavirus, they definitely want to uh, try to get a handle on that and quarantine them. So, yeah, I definitely think they'll take what's been working for the other sports and kind of just uh, make it their own. Antoine Staley with us. Uh, the Riot Report covering the Panthers has covered the NFL for a while, and he uh, also – an alum of ECU, repping the three three six, but still yeah. uh, an ECU alum. <laughs> so we haven't talked to you since Cam Newton uh, has uh, signed with the Patriots. Final thing uh, here, uh, as you've sat back and, and I'm sure kind of like the rest of us, you've enjoyed the Cam videos and the Cam podcasts and and all of that in the aftermath of uh, of the signing. What kind of Cam is New England getting in your estimation and? Can he coexist with Bill Belichick? I, t- I tend to think he can because I think a lot of what he's doing now is, you know, uh, sort of the fun part of this. But I, I, I foresee him, especially if healthy, with the chip he's going to have on his shoulder, uh, being able to be very productive. Yeah, I've enjoyed the videos. Uh, <laughs> I enjoyed always the backlash from Panthers fans uh, about the videos, but I have enjoyed watching the videos. And yeah, I definitely think you're going to get somebody that's really motivated and somebody that has a lot to prove. Uh, we're talking about an uh, individual, Cam, Cam Newton, that's uh, suffered injuries the last couple of years and, and just really derailed his season and derailed the Panthers' season. So I definitely think he wants to, he feel like he has something to prove. Bill Belichick has something to prove. Uh, a lot of people are taking shots at him, talking about Tom Brady was the only mm-hmm. reason for his success, which I think is just completely crazy, but that's a whole other conversation. So I definitely think you have two guys that definitely have a lot to prove and want to prove that their success, they can be successful with, without uh, either a quarterback or at a different place. So I definitely think it's, it's a perfect marriage for me. I definitely think the Patriots found a guy that's going to be highly, and they're not paying him a whole lot. So I definitely yeah. think if he were to get hurt, then – uh, they can obviously move on and uh, get another quarterback possibly in the draft there. So I think it's uh, a win-win for the Patriots either way. And I definitely think guys expect Cam Newton to have a really big season, provided that he can stay healthy. Uh, follow Antoine Staley at Antoine Staley on Twitter, the Riot Report uh, online as well. Uh, Antoine, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Good stuff from uh, Antoine. Great to hear from him, and uh, always great to have a fellow pirate on the air with us uh, who's uh, doing great things with his uh, career covering the NFL. Uh, let's uh, take a break. Perrin Jones, Dr. Perrin Jones, who's the uh, 
district representative in the state house is going to be with us. We wanted to get kind of a COVID update uh, from him, but also get his assessment on the plan B decided by Pitt County Schools yesterday and, and if he feels like that's the best plan at this time. Uh, or uh, where maybe that should have gone if he doesn't think that's the best plan at this time. So we'll have Dr. Jones on to talk about a myriad of things connected to COVID. Uh, So that's coming up. But right now, Ben Byram with uh, an update on everything going on in the world of sports, including a uh, golf tournament going on in our own backyard. With that and more, here's Ben. Thanks, Patrick. Ben Barham here for your 94th through the game sports update. Moments ago, ECU announced that they will resume ECU athletic activities beginning tomorrow. After performing another round of COVID-19 testing, university only has 17 active positive cases of COVID-19, and 20 individuals have recovered from the virus. We have some local sports action that just wrapped up as the GP Pro Tour visited Brook Valley Country Club here in Greenville, North Carolina. Lucas Euler from Raleigh claimed the top spot in the Greenville Open, shooting eight under, followed by Bryson Nimmer from Okadi, South Carolina, who shot five under, and in third place, Will Hardwood of Salem, South Carolina, with three under. In college football, big news out of the state of Texas regarding allowing fans in the stands for college football this upcoming season, as the University of Texas AD Chris Del Conte revealed his plans as season ticket holders to have the stadium filled to 50% capacity for the season. Meanwhile, New York Governor Anthony Cuomo issued an order stating that college football will be, be allowed as long as there are no fans in the stands. It is currently unclear whether this order affects college basketball and other sports or not. In the NFL, after players pushed for no preseason games this year, the league offered the players' union to make the decision whether they want the preseason scrap. The offer from the league also included the idea to have longer training camps instead of the preseason games. Meanwhile, veteran defensive end Michael Bennett has announced his retirement. It's reported that Bennett retired so he can spend more time with his family. Bennett played in the league for 11 seasons, which saw him earn three Pro Bowls, a Super Bowl ring, and rack up 69 and a half sacks. Exciting news out of baseball. As a result of the Toronto Blue Jays being denied the ability to return and play in Canada, the league is looking for a new host city. Among the options the Blue Jays have looked into include Buffalo, where their AAA affiliate plays, sharing a stadium with Pittsburgh or Baltimore, or playing at Truist Field in Charlotte, North Carolina. The organization claims that they are aware of the availability of the home of the Charlotte Knights and have reached out and had talks with the people at Truist Field, but haven't had back-and-forth communication since early last week. Wrapping it up from the NBA, the league announced that it will be moving up its draft lottery five days early to August 20th to the 25th as the ramp-up of the NBA season looks to become more and more of a reality. Here at 94 Through the Game Sports Update, I'm Ben Byron. More from the P-Man with Perrin Jones after this quick timeout. Log on to 943thegame.com for blogs about the Pirates program schedules and more. Patrick Johnson, every weekday at 5. I know he's a friend of yours, but that guy is bonkers. This is the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Dr. Perrin Jones has joined us uh, here. He represents uh, the... uh, District 9 in the uh, State House, so he's the uh, Greenville representative, and uh, he has uh, been good enough to, to join us. It's been a couple of weeks since we've talked to him, but uh, he and Dr. Murphy, uh, Congressman Murphy, have both been excellent uh, in giving uh, our audience their time to lend their expertise and insights, uh, especially coming from the world of medicine. Uh, representative Jones, hope all is well, sir. Great to talk to you as it always is. 
Uh, I'm, I'm doing great, Patrick. I appreciate your having me on this afternoon. Hope you're uh, doing well also. I am. Uh, I want to start with, uh, you know, Pitt County made the approve, approval of Plan B yesterday, and <coughs> mm-hmm. they're working out some of the kinks uh, of that, or we'll be working out some of the uh, finer details of that. Uh, but it is uh, that hybrid model of uh, students in and out of uh, out of these schools. Uh, what say you on this? You know, we had Congressman Murphy last week. He was pretty uh, forthright in his thoughts. Uh, what are your thoughts on, you know, re- a return to school, but uh, doing so in kind of a uh, all remote or combination method? Um, I'm, I, I've been talking with uh, members of the school board quite a bit about this whole process as they've gone through it. And um, I, I was really very glad to see that they made the decision that they did. Um, I think it's really important for kids to be able to get back into school. Um, I think it's important for them to be able to socialize. I think it's, I think that, um, you know, while there's some aspects of online learning that are very positive, I think there's still a lot of kinks that need to be worked out with regards to online learning, both teaching teachers how to teach online as well as teaching students how to learn online. Um, so I think all in, you know, it's, it's very good to get kids back in the classroom. Um, one of my concerns, you know, kind of going into this fall uh, or through the summer going into the fall has been um, this idea that we could, you know, see almost the equivalent of kind of like a lost generation with regards to educational access and, and um, achievement. And um, that would be something that would end up having very, very negative effects on our society as a whole for, you know, for many years to come. So I think getting them back in the classroom is a, is a real plus. Were, were your discussions with them ever geared towards a full return uh, to school uh, or maybe an elementary, uh, uh, a, a more consistent return, at least to start from elementary kids? No. I mean, you know, we, we had cursory conversations about any number of different um, ways to try to, to try to go about it. But, you know, plan B seemed to be um, the best mix, frankly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to get kids back in. I, and I think it's, um, you know, here for Pitt County, at least, I think it's a much better option than, um, you know, plan C, which was kind of what we had back in the spring, which, um, you know, didn't, frankly, probably didn't didn't go as well as a lot of people would have liked for it to. Yeah. Uh, we've got Representative Perrin Jones, MD, with us here. Every uh, body with the school system I've talked to, uh, felt confident they would be able and will be able to execute whatever uh, ultimately was decided on. The The frustration from them, again, it co- comes from uh, the governor and kind of a lack of communication down the chain and, and only giving them so much time to implement this. In other words, you know, the school system's made some investments and, uh, you know, to, to make sure that everything is as clean as it possibly can be but they've had to hold back a little bit of money from what I understand because they, they really didn't have any guidance or where to go. So they're hoping they can get this done in enough time uh, before school starts. And I'm sure they will. But again, it just, it seems like we're kind of being held up for, I, I, I don't think it's unfair to say political reasons at this point. Well, the, you know, the, um, my understanding of the way this process all went down was that the counties were asked or the different school systems were asked to submit their plans for the fall to Raleigh. Um, you know, and one could, could argue that it might've been easier 
so they they were creating plans without any kind of guidance right. from Riley. Exactly. Basically. Yeah. Um, and you know, you could argue that they were kind of flying flying blind in doing that, and it probably would have been um, more time efficient for the different school boards if they had um, had guidance from Riley before they started making and submitting their plans for their individual school districts. I mean, I think you could make a, a logical argument that that would have been a, uh, a better way to do it. Dr. Jones, uh, you'd sent out an article. I received it uh, a couple of, uh, I think last week, <clears throat> uh, about a week or so ago, actually a little less than that, about the virus testing in this state. It started off slowly. Uh, it's finally starting to come around, but it does seem like there's still a lot of holes in it. Again, you can kind of lay the the blame at this, or at least I'm going to, at uh, the feet of DHHS. Uh, the White House has done the same, uh, at least expressed concern. Dr. Burks has. Uh, and, and again, it just seems like whenever we're getting that message from, from Raleigh uh, via the governor, via Mandy Cohen, we're not getting the full picture. And, it, it's, and you know this because of the profession you're in and yes we're always you're always learning new things we're all always learning new things to make decisions but we're not even getting a clear picture of what i think we we have access to right now well you know patrick from the from the get-go um there, there were a couple of things that we knew were going to be important so you know we knew that there was a great likelihood that people at the extremes of age were going to be at higher risk I mean, that, that's true for pretty much any virus that goes around. Um, we were very fortunate that younger people did not seem to be as affected uh, or affected as much as we anticipated they would be. So that was a real plus. Um, but, you know, there were a couple of things that we, we absolutely needed to be able to handle this virus. And this is true from, from the jump. And one of those was access to, you know, reliable, accurate and timely and so the, the fact that we don't have, um, you know, a full-on testing plan and that we don't have guaranteed access to those types of tests right now, you know, this far into uh, dealing with COVID-19 is, um, you know, it's, it's a little concerning to me. I mean, I, I think that we should be further along in terms of, of having those types of strategies in place and also having guaranteed access to um to the test material. Um, frankly, there are a lot of other states right now that are prepaying for test capacity from various um, lab companies. And when they do that, they are negotiating for a um, lower overall right. cost per test. They're also negotiating for guaranteed access to the reagents, the pipettes, and the viral swabs necessary to be able to, to do the test. And um, they're also negotiating for turnaround times. So people can have more timely um, access to their test results and what people are seeing here. So I'm, I'm not really sure why North Carolina hasn't, um, you know, taken, uh, taken that approach, but I, I think that it would be a very good approach for us to, to look into and, and get started on. Representative Perrin Jones, MD, is uh, on the phone with us here. Dr. Cohen, it seems like every turn now in a lot of these briefings is talking about the need to expand Medicaid in North Carolina. Um, there are those that are your political opponents are, are, are kind of lumping you in the, within a group that 
uh, says you claims you've tried to stymie healthcare access to people, and I can tell you, uh, that's I mean could be and it could not be any further from the truth. I think you've done a lot uh, for your constituency, but also for people in the entire East to try to improve access to to healthcare. Uh, well, I just want to give you a chance to speak to that. Well, I appreciate that. Um, you know, people will say different things. Um, you know, it is a campaign season. It, I think it's unfortunate that, you know, this, this campaign has already kind of devolved to that, to that point. Uh, I think that that's right. a, a real, um, I think that's just a really unfortunate turn of events. Um, it would be much better if we could have an open discussion about various issues that are of importance to the people of Eastern North Carolina and um, have a have a legitimate debate as opposed to, you know, going into half-truths and, you know, quarter-truths and, you know, frankly, things that aren't truthful at all. Um, the fact is, is that I've, I've practiced here in, in Greenville and Pitt County and around other places in eastern North Carolina for over 17 years. Um, we take care of everyone that walks through the door. Um, in my own personal practice, um, last time I looked, people that were on uh, Medicare or Medicaid or people that don't have insurance made up over 60% of the people that we take care of. Mm-hmm. So to say that, um, you know, I, I don't uh, take care of people that are, you know, on Medicaid or on other, um, you know, government payment programs is, uh, is completely untrue. Um, you know, and quite frankly, I mean, we have had numerous discussions through the COVID work groups and other work groups to try to increase access to care mm-hmm. for people. Mm-hmm. So to say that, that I've been anti-access is, um, is completely untrue. Well, it's ludicrous. If people will go to, if, if, if people will go to my Facebook page, and scroll down to, um, I think it was in mid-February. This is still kind of like in the the COVID penumbra, right? as it were. <laughs> um, I mean, I think people will see that there was a Facebook post that I put on there that discussed Medicaid expansion. Yeah. But, um, you know, doing it in a, in a responsible fashion and having a full and complete discussion about what expanding Medicaid would end up doing. Not just, um, you know, looking at, at one aspect of it. So, um, you know, I, I think that if people were to actually look into the actual truth of the matter, yeah, they yeah. would see that there's a lot more to it than, um, you know, what one side might try to purport. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we've got Dr. Perrin Jones with us. I, I want to return to COVID just to ask you this. Obviously, we, we've talked a little bit about the North Carolina uh, numbers and testing capacity here. When we're seeing... Uh, you know, the North Carolina numbers, uh, the NNO kind of laid this out this weekend. Others have as well. This is basically a, a, a Charlotte uh, explosion, and it's unfortunately seen, uh, you know, a good amount of cases coming out of the Latino community. That's uh, right. There's various reasons uh, for that. I think a lot of it is uh, the type of, of, of work settings that maybe a lot of Latinos in North Carolina find themselves in. Um, when you see nationally and you talk to, I, I had a, have a good friend who was actually down in Florida last week and tells a much different story of what's happening in Florida, uh, than what is happening, say in Miami or any of the other big cities there. So again, this in Texas, in, uh, Florida 
and even here in our state, this seems to be a problem uh, confined to, to, again, that that care where you are in a nursing home or assisted living, uh, perhaps the prisons, although I think there's a fairly good handle on that, or or urban areas. Is that an accurate assessment on my part? Well, it was really good to see um, more regionalized data coming out from, from DHS. I think that was really good to see. Um, and I, I think that the numbers, you know, as, as seen on their on their dashboard would um, validate much of what you've said. You know, there, there are certain areas, uh, primarily the large urban areas in North Carolina that have a much larger um, issue dealing with COVID than other areas like eastern North Carolina. Um, and then within those specific uh, specific geographic locations, there are certain communities that seem to have a higher um, incidence of disease. So, you know, if you were to devise a plan um, to deal with that, I, I think that you would look at those urban areas um, as well as certain communities within those urban areas and really try to, to push the testing and the tracking um, at those at those communities, so that you could help get the uh, you know the disease under control. Um, you know, I would like to say one thing about the Hispanic community um, in particular. You know, a lot of those folks um, are working in areas where they are in very close proximity to one another, um, particularly in the protein processing facilities and potentially working in, um, you know, like on a farm or something like that. And so, you know, they have, um, you know, probably a higher incidence of disease based upon that as well as, you know, the fact that a lot of, um, as I understand, a lot of Hispanic uh, families are Mm multi-generational. And, um, you know, so I think that those probably play into, into that. Um, at the risk of saying, you know, making a gross generalization about people that are Hispanic, mm-hmm. um, you know, there, there, there are members of the Hispanic community that are here that are undocumented. True. Yeah. Um, yeah. And quite frankly, we really need to figure out a way that we can get into those communities um, and get them access to testing, tracking, and tracing programs. Right. Um, in spite of the fact that they may be undocumented because if and until we are able to isolate the disease in, in all of the state, we're never going to be able to isolate the disease for the state. Um, the fact is, is if someone is here illegally, then, you know, they're still using the same gas pumps and going to the same grocery stores as everybody else. So we've got to figure out a way that we can engage with that community, um, you know, to, to get them enrolled in testing, tracking, and tracing programs so that we can get a handle on this disease in the state. I, I want to squeeze in one more question. We don't have a ton of time on this. The CDC said, I believe, last week or within the last two weeks that if everybody would wear a mask, uh, that in a six- to eight-week period, this thing would be totally driven into the ground. Do you agree with that assessment well, and, or, or not? Yeah, Patrick, I, I think that the mask issue is, um, you know, the three W's, you know, wearing a mask, um, you know, washing your hands, social distancing are, are important. They're an important part of the overall plan 
to, to deal with COVID, but they certainly should not be the plan. And so I would encourage people to do the three W's. I would encourage people to wear a mask, to wash your hands, social distance. But at the same, but, but at the same time, I would also um, suggest that they ask for the overall plan to deal with COVID in the state. And quite frankly, the, the keystone of that is to have an effective testing program. Yeah, absolutely. So if and until we have an effective testing program, it's going to be very difficult for us to reopen our economy, to reopen our schools, um, to reopen you know recreational opportunities and everything else. So I, I would encourage people to, to wear a mask, but also demand a plan. And um, that's, that's what I would ask people to do. Representative Jones, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. Yes, sir, Patrick. Hope you have a good afternoon. It has uh, been a hot one out there today. It'll continue to be hot for a couple of days. No chance of rain, really, uh, until later on uh, in the week. So uh, if you're going to be out watching any uh, of the baseball tonight, Greenville Little League or, or just out, whatever, practicing baseball, softball, whatever, uh, do uh, make sure that you uh, – Stay hydrated. I just wanted to say that. Kind of closing our medical segment here. Uh, We will close the show out when we return on this PJ Show Tuesday. This is where the Pirates play. 94.3 The Game. Your home for the best ECU game day coverage in all of the Pirate Nation. Patrick Johnson. For a guy who thinks he's cool, you're sure no fun. This is the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. up what has been uh, quite a few days here on the pj show it's been quite a 24-hour uh period uh in case uh, you missed it earlier or during the uh, update uh ecu confirmed what was reported last week by uh, channel 7 sports uh and that uh, athletic activities following a uh, week off will resume tomorrow at uh, east carolina as uh, on Monday, the athletics department tested over 100 individuals. That included student athletes, coaches, staff, and three people tested uh, positive from that grouping. The department has 17 active positive coronavirus cases. 20 folks have uh, recovered after testing positive, and all individuals who test positive, of course, for COVID-19 are going to self-isolate and receive daily monitoring from ECU Athletics Medical Staff. The department will continue to test individuals in consultation with medical staff. Uh, a release uh, that came out right before the show today, and uh, that is the big uh, breaking news. Big thanks to uh, Dr. Perrin Jones. Always great to get his uh, analysis of the situation. Also, a big thanks to Antoine Staley, The Riot Report, uh, ECU alum covering the Panthers, talking NFL with us again. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to bring to you the highlights uh, along with some commentary from the uh, virtual Chamber of Commerce luncheon that the Pitt Greenville Chamber of Commerce is putting on. John Gilbert is the keynote speaker, uh, and uh, we will have uh, his comments and the highlights and our thoughts on it for you tomorrow. Uh, for Ben Byram, I'm Patrick Johnson. Stay hydrated. Stay in the AC if at all possible. Stay safe. We'll greet you tomorrow for a fresh edition of the Patrick Johnson Show on a hump day.